Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nick. Well, good morning again. We open Isaiah chapter 40 to hear a great passage and hopefully great uh, explanation of that passage this morning as we begin this Advent season again again, together. Advent has been a season of expectant waiting and, and celebration of the first and second coming of Christ that the church has really celebrated uh, for millennia. I love this time of year. I love it. The, the warmth it provides, the family time to give uh, gifts to others as even Christ is the greatest gift. I love Christmas cookies and cookies, and I think I said cookies. Yes, all those good, wonderful things about this time of year. But most importantly, when we come to the Advent season, it's a time for us as God's people to, to re-embed ourselves into history. That's what we're doing. We re-embed ourselves back into history. We are a people of history. Our faith falls or stands on the historical events of this man, Jesus, who lived in history. And the historical story that's been handed down from generation to generation to generation and celebrated year after year after year, the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah, God in flesh into the world. I love our our set of songs this morning have so clearly pointed us to that. This idea of history. You know, it's just one of the reasons, just one of the reasons why, uh, 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 one of the reasons of the whys behind why we do some things at Bethany that might feel a bit traditional. 
Because as we come to this story and we come to our history and we do some things like maybe we read Scripture out loud or, or we say this is the word of the Lord, we are a people that might do some of those traditional things to remind us we're rooted in history. We are a people of history, a story of history in the past. It reminds us of that. We didn't just pop up here in Canby out of a vacuum. We stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and their story. The story. The story of Christmas. The story of Christ. The story that we're going to be telling all month long here at Bethany Church this Advent season. One of those people, uh, uh, the shoulders that we're standing upon in history is the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. This morning, as I'm so glad you are here, we're beginning this Advent season in the prophet of Isaiah. Our Advent series we're calling Christmas Through the Eyes of Isaiah. And you might be thinking, well, why Isaiah? And you think, well, why not Luke chapter 2? It's the Christmas story. Why Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet, this Old Testament book, when the story of Jesus, as we even know through our Gospel of Mark series, is New Testament? Why go back to Isaiah? Well, to start with, Isaiah's name, with a little context for this book and who he is, his name means Yahweh saves. And if the Advent season is about anything, it's about salvation and God saving humanity, salvation coming to the world. But Isaiah also speaks a lot about this coming Messiah. Some of the best-known Christmas passages that you're maybe familiar with, maybe didn't know, came from that book. Uh, they come from Isaiah. We're going to cover some of them over these next few weeks. Well, another reason, the Christmas story is a story also of good news, isn't it? Good news. And Isaiah, beginning today, as we're in chapter 40 of his book, he begins to, at chapter 40 now, after 39, right at 40, he begins to proclaim God's good news to his people. You see, he's been writing a prophecy. He's been writing a prophecy to a people in chapters 1 through 39 now, who didn't even know it was coming for them. Didn't even know. Chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah speak of judgment. Of judgment that is coming upon God's people on the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. 39 chapters now. That's a lot of chapters on judgment. He's speaking this message of judgments that's coming for their disobedience, for their idolatry. In fact, look at the end of chapter 39. Right before our verses, here's what Isaiah writes. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, that's the king, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. 39 chapters of, of that. 39 chapters of this, this coming doom that was coming. You know how Hezekiah responded, actually? We're not reading it, but he said, oh, it's not in my time, it's later on? Great, I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's how he responded. And so today we get to chapter 40, though. And chapter 40, Isaiah, uh, it was written, uh, it comes right after this section, obviously 39 here, but this chapter of Isaiah was written sometime in the 700s B.C., probably. And, you know, as B.C. counts down, 700 down to the six and fives, uh, it was written sometime in the 700s to a people that would be destroyed. There it is. That would be exiled, it was called. 
they would be sent away, they'd be deported to a place, uh, Babylon, the Babylonian exile, that King Nebuchadnezzar, remember that funny name for the Old Testament, that King Nebuchadnezzar would come in 586 and would destroy and take the people of Judah away and deport them to Babylon. So this chapter was written now in the 700s to give people a hope of an event that was going to happen in the 580s, and they didn't even know it yet. And as they were in exile, I'm sure they looked back and they saw this chapter in 39 and 40, this, this section of Isaiah, and they must have thought, unbelievable. But imagine the voices they were hearing as they were in exile. This is God's people, His chosen people. Imagine the voices that would have been running through their hearts and through their minds as they were in exile. God has failed you. He's abandoned His promises to you. Look at this exile. You failed God. There's no chance at saving you. You have no future. Why hope any, anymore? Everything's lost. They must have been thinking those thoughts. Isaiah wrote to a people who would live with these discouraging voices after an absolute defeat and exile. They felt as if God could never redeem their past and their future circumstances would never change. They needed a new voice. But God breaks through. God breaks through with a message of hope, a cry in the wilderness we're going to see today, that Yahweh would save. So this morning we're going to listen to three voices. Because as they needed a new voice, so do we. Because sometimes we hear those same voices, don't we? You're beyond saving. You failed God. God's failed you. Your past will never be changed. Your future will always look the same. We hear those same voices. So this morning we're going to hear three, three new ones to give us hope, to kick off our Advent season that brings tiding of good news for everyone here today. So grab your outline if you got it. Have it open. Hopefully your Bible's open to Isaiah 40 as we unpack the past and the present context of Isaiah's prophecies this Christmas. So here's his cry. Here's his voice. Here's a summary of our Advent series, a summary of this chapter, a summary of what Isaiah is doing. The, pro the cry of the prophet, this voice, is a call to find comfort and tender forgiveness this Advent season. And really, that's the central message of chapter 40. That is the summary of this chapter today. This cry of this prophet to call people to find comfort and tender forgiveness with the coming of the Messiah. Proclaiming the glory of God for the saving of lost and dying sinners. Undeserved grace for sinners, another way to put it. That's the theme. That's what Advent is about this year for us. Well, let's look at verses 1 to 2 as we look at this cry. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Think of it now. God had just spent 39 chapters of prophesying through Isaiah now that judgment would come. And it did come. And they were exiled. And it all came true. Everything Isaiah said. And they're living away from home, exiled from their land. And then comes these refreshing words. 
After all that reading of those chapters comes these re- refreshing words. What's God doing here? God is he's commissioning. You ever gotten a commission? You've been uh, tasked with something to do. We commissioned, uh, we commissioned David when he went off to China. We brought him up. We prayed for him. It was, a, it was a commissioning to send him out to do a work on a mission trip. God is commissioning here. He, he, he's waking up the prophetic voice. He's waking up his speaker, a voice that would speak to his people that were in exile and needed deliverance. He's waking them up. And he says, comfort, twice there, comfort, comfort them. Tenderness is the word he uses. Pardon for sin for a people that have been so under the hand of God's disobe- or, uh, uh, judgment. Forgiveness. God will redeem you are some of the words. Mercy will come. He's waking up the prophet, commissioning him. Speak these things to my people. And really, that's my calling too. My calling as the preacher is to take God's word this Advent season and this text even today, and say, comfort, comfort, tenderness from God, mercy, hope, forgiveness, all the things that are wrapped up in these first two verses. As God commissioned those first prophets, we're called today to speak it out as I am too. And we know mercy did come, if you know the history of God's people, it did come. The exiled people returned back to their homeland As the book of Ezra and Nehemiah record, the temple was rebuilt, not as glorious as the first time, but it was rebuilt. God didn't abandon his people, did he? He did not abandon his people. This was fulfilled. But as we look at these three voices today, we have to realize, you and I have to see, that they're prophecies for us too. They're good news for us too, not just people that we've never known, never seen, that lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I think a picture is going to help us understand this a little better. Here's what I mean. These prophecies, they're not just past fulfillment. As we come to, there's a beautiful picture here of some hills in the foreground and a lake and some hills in the background and even some further ones out there. As we look at biblical prophecy, so that's what we're doing. Isaiah is a prophetic book. As we look at biblical prophecy, much of it functions like this picture here. What do I mean by that? Much of it's like this picture. In this picture, you see a couple different, maybe even two or three horizons there, don't you? you got a foreground and hills in the middle and and hills in, in the back horizon. You see different horizons. You see the lush green hills in the foreground there. You see that one really clear, don't you? You know it's there. You can see it. It's right there. But then in the back, you see sort of a different horizon, and even further out, you know it's there, you can see it, but it's not quite as clear as what's right in front. But, but it's out there. You can see it in that picture, can't you? It's out there. Well, the fulfillment of prophecy in the Bible works somewhat like this. This goes for Isaiah, or, or really a lot of the prophecy in the Bible. Many times it's fulfilled in stages of history, in stages over different horizons, you might say. So on the one horizon, the voices today we will look at were partially fulfilled in the foreground, the green hills there, the days of God's people, that present for them, partially fulfilled. They were saved. They were brought out of exile. They were brought back home. The temple was rebuilt. That's the near hills in this picture, the foreground. 
But on another horizon, maybe those stone mountains in the back, they point to a future, some far out hills, the prophetic words do. And fulfillment in Christ. A future prophecy. So, so fulfilled in God's people's day, yes, but also coming too. Already and not yet, it's sometimes described. On different horizons. And really some of the words today even in some of the Isaiah passages will point us to the end of time too. Different horizons that prophecy is fulfilled on. Well, how do we know this? Let's look at our first voice this morning to hear this, that we need to hear. Our first voice is this. We need a voice to break in that the glory of the Lord is in the rescuing of his people. Here's our first voice this morning. The glory of the Lord is in the rescuing of his people. Here's verse 3. A voice. Here's the voice. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Listen is what the voice is really saying. Listen. Someone's calling out. Do you hear it? Listen to the voice. Do you hear it this Christmas? That's what we're going to ask. There's a voice. Verse 3 says, listen to this voice. Make a way. Make a road. Make a way. A highway. Not like the road that they followed on the way out of Exodus. That was a road. That was a way God made, wasn't it? To save his people, to redeem his people, to pull them out of slavery and bondage. They followed that road out of Exodus. And yes, they were in a wilderness, like verse 3 mentions wilderness to us, but they were following that road out, out of Egypt. They were going out. But this road here is the language of our passage. It's a highway for God. Not necessarily for his people to go out. It's a highway for God. This is like a road of God coming to our wilderness. There's a difference here. That road they followed out. This highway that this speaker is going to prepare is like a highway for God coming to our wilderness. A highway for God, verse 3 says exactly. Yes, so so we see it was good news for the exiled Jews, this, this prophecy. It was. They came back. They were regathered. They built a temple. But there was a further horizon. There were hills that were a bit further out. John the Baptist was the future voice out on that further hill. He was the one who would cry out. From our current series in Mark's gospel, this should be familiar to us. This language sounds familiar. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. There's the highway. The voice of one crying In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Advent is Jesus coming. Advent is a highway of God to our wilderness. That's what we're celebrating. That's what that voice John was proclaiming. And John cries out, listen, listen, do you hear? Do you hear me? I'm a voice to prepare the way, to get us ready. And what did John say when that baby grew up and he saw him walking towards him on the shore of the river? He said, behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The voice of John the Baptist, much like verse 10 of our passage, says, Behold, that word, behold, the glory of God is breaking through. The highway has come from heaven to our wilderness to save, to rescue his people. You know, if we are going to be saved at all, it must be God coming to us. It's got to be him coming to us, not the other way around. We don't deserve it. We can't get it, but he does it. A highway of God to us. That's what John was crying out. He was the voice on the further hills that fulfilled it in Jesus as he comes, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. Well, verse 4 says, Mountains will be laid low, and low places will be brought up. We kind of, I love that. That song we sang today talked about, did you catch that? Mountains would be destroyed or brought down. We sang that, and, and valleys will be brought up. In other words, everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. We, you know, we've been watching Jesus do this, haven't we? We've been going through the Gospel of Mark for months now. We've been watching Jesus do this as high mountains are there. There's roadblocks in his way on this rescue mission, on his highway. The Pharisees, the the Sadducees, his enemies, his adversaries, they get in his way with their pride and can't believe that he's the Messiah. And what does he do? He levels them down, doesn't he? He humbles them. He removes them as a roadblock on his way, on his highway. How about the valleys? What have we been watching him do with those valleys? Those those low places, the humble, the, the downtrodden we've been talking about the broken who have been lifted up in the Gospel of Mark out of dark, low places. David preached last week about the blind men. He was one of them. Your sight is restored. He lifts him up from the valley. Nothing can get in the way of God delivering his people. That's what that means. No mountain, no valley, nothing can get in his way. In the past in your life, in the present in your life, in the future of your life, nothing will stop him. He will deliver you through faith in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. This this way would come, these mountains would be shattered, these valleys would be brought up. So what insurmountable obstacle do you feel is in your way today? Hindering your faith, causing you to doubt giving you anxiety so that you're waking up at 3 a.m. and you can't get back to sleep. What is it? What valley are you in? That valley language, I don't know, for whatever reason, made me think this week of, you remember the slough of despond? Talk about a dark, the slough of despond. Who wants to go there on vacation? The slough of despond from Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember that? He talked about it like this uh, Pilgrim did, or Christian did on his journey. The miry slough is such a place as, as cannot be mended. It's the descent whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run. It's like a low place. And therefore it's called the slough of despond. For still as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there ariseth in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions which all of them get together and they settle in this place. 
And this is the reason he said of the badness of this ground. That's pretty dark imagery there, isn't it? He's talking like about a cesspool. Everything runs to that one spot in your life that you just feel like you're in a valley. You may feel hopeless today. You may feel lost today. You may feel abandoned by God today. For sure, God's people have felt that at times. But I know it, and I cry it out today like a voice. I've got to do it like John the Baptist did. Cry it out today that Jesus is restoring all things, everything. And verse 5 guarantees it. Look at it. It guarantees it. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's universal. Verse 5 says, all flesh will see it. And the origin of this message, yes, there's Isaiah and John and prophets and preachers today that speak it, but the origin of the message, did you see it? The certainty is guaranteed because it comes from God's mouth. The Lord has spoken it. He spoke it in heaven from all eternity. And now his prophets on earth, Isaiah here and John the Baptist and us today, speak it on earth. Reminds me of the verse in 2 Peter. It says, no man wrote scripture. No man created prophecy. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke it. They spoke it out. He spoke it first, though. That's why we have scripture today. They were carried along by the inspiration of the Spirit. That verse goes on. We know it's certain because the origin of the message is from God. It's his mouth. It started in heaven, and now we speak it on earth. And now the Son of God has come from heaven, that's Advent, now down to earth to declare God's glory, verse 5 says. And I love it that we know it's Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, there's his word again, it's certain, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful that God's pleased to show his glory most by making a highway to earth? I hope you are. I hope you are. I pray you are. And in the face of that baby, to show it most clearly, at Christmas time, as that baby who would grow up to become the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, do you see it this Christmas? Better yet, do you hear it? The voice crying out. It's our first voice. That voice that cries out. The glory of the Lord is in the rescuing of his people. Well, let's hear that second voice. We need a second voice today. We're doing three, as I said. Here's our second one. We need a voice that points us away from ourselves and to this glory of God, to the eternal word of God. We need a voice. And there's three voices in our passage today. It's kind of convenient for a preacher. Three points, three voices. Uh, the, the second voice points us away from ourselves to the eternal word of God. Humanity, we've talked about this even in recent weeks, humanity is addicted, or at least born that way, addicted to ourselves. Remember, we've had some imagery of hearts that are turned inwards on ourselves. We've had some pictures even of that over the past weeks. 
humans are, uh, as we are addicted to ourselves, humans tend to fix this roof on earth, this roof on humanity. That all there is is the natural world. And all there is is what we can see and feel. And if we're honest with ourselves, we actually practically live a lot of times that way, even as Christians. That all that matters is right here, right now. And this is the only moment we've got. And make the most of it because this is the only life you've got. We live that way as Christians practically, don't we, sometimes? Or functionally, you might say is another word. We live that way. We put a glass ceiling on earth and we think, this is it. This is all there is. It's never going to change. This is the way it's going to be. We rule out the possibility, sometimes even functionally as Christians, of there being anything outside ourselves, above us, beyond us, bigger than us. And when we do that, a lot of us in this world get puffed up, get, anxious, or, uh, get uh, prideful. We become glory robbers. We set humanity up as the greatest. And we end up thinking too highly of ourselves because we think, well, this is all there is and we're the greatest thing on earth, so we must be the greatest. And we end up robbing God of his glory. In summer, my kids love to go outside with me. And we go outside and they love, and maybe your kids or grandkids, they love to have you blow bubbles to them, don't they? You go outside, you get your bubbles. We can go through some of like 10 bottles in the summer. Most of them get spilled, but that's another story. But we go outside, they love to have us blow bubbles outside. And some, with some of those big wands, uh, you can get some pretty uh, big bubbles, can't you? You've done that before, I'm sure. And they, I love to get them as, as big as I can. The kids just go, they go berserk over these big, giant bubbles as they come out. They're these, sometimes, if it's a sunny day, uh, there's these, they become these magnificent uh, rainbow colors, you know, sun shining through them wobbling precariously. You know, you've seen them, whoa, you know, they're kind of holding on for life, dear life, these big giant bubbles floating by. They're like, uh, almost with the beauty, almost like floating flowers, the colors that come through them, these rainbow colors. But what do kids love to do? They love to run and pop them. They love to just jump up and pop those bubbles well, God tells this second voice to cry out that you and I, we're kind of soap bubbles. Soap bubbles. Look at verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, well, well, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, the voice repeats it again. Yes, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We're the only thing made in His image. You're the only thing made in His image on this, on this, this earth. Valuable. To be honored, humanity to have, to be to have dignity and worth and valuable and, to, and taken care of. We are the pinnacle of His creation. Beautiful like a flower, or like a bubble that's got those the prism of light shining through it. But oh, so fragile, aren't we? So temporary, like grass that withers, like flowers that are 
cut off from the stem like soap bubbles. Temporary. Pop, pop, pop. Especially when the breath of God's judgment falls upon us, verse 7 says, what is, what is he saying? We're a dying race. Sin has entered this world. We're like a beautiful bouquet that's been chopped off right at the base from the source of life. And we are, yes, made in His image and beautiful, but we're fading, aren't we? Grass withers, flower fades. We could say this on an individual level. You could say this about our culture too. You could say this about our American culture. We've cut ourselves off. We've lopped off the root. It was even based on much of the Judeo-Christian truth of the Bible, you would say, that did cause us to flourish, to maybe even be something beautiful. But we are, for sure, in stages of withering. We're seeing the death of a culture. We're living through it. We have lopped off the root. We are a bouquet that's withering We've chewed off the branch we were sitting on, to put it in other words. And as it is for the individual, as it is for the culture, as it is for the family, we are soap bubbles waiting to be popped here today, gone tomorrow. Such a Christmassy message, huh? (laughs) But we're fragile. We are. We're fickle as humans. We are. We need to hear this, though. This isn't coming from me. This is God saying to the second voice in this passage, well, what do I cry out? Tell them this. (laughs) They're like grass that withers, flowers that fades. We need to hear this because God has said it to the prophet. And here's what, it's our our second voice. We gotta be pointed away from ourselves. That's what the prophet's doing. We need to be pointed away from ourselves. Our glory is fleeting. Humans accomplish great things. But we all know that when we leave this earth, we leave it all behind, don't we? We leave it all behind. Our glory is uh, fleeting. We're here for a short time. I was sitting at my desk this week, uh, actually just Friday, preparing this sermon, and it was one of those moments where I was daydreaming, looking out the window, and a gust of wind came by, and these, a bunch of leaves just went, whew, it was amazing. A ton of leaves just flew right by my window. And I said, my God, that's us. That is us. And that moment as I saw those leaves just blowing by, they were in my sight for one second, and they just blew by my window but not the Word of God. The Word of God will stand forever. The Word, the incarnate Word, you would even say, Jesus Christ, His Word, yes, we will come and go, but He will stand forever. His Word will stand forever. I was reading uh, Calvin commentary on this this week. I love what he said about this whole passage. This passage, he said, comprehends the whole gospel in few words. For it consists of acknowledgement of our misery, poverty, emptiness. Think of the flowers, the leaf, the bubbles. That being sincerely humbled, we may fly to God, away from ourselves to God, by whom alone we shall be perfectly restored. Let not men therefore faint or be discouraged by the knowledge of their nakedness and emptiness. The eternal word is exhibited to them by which they may abundantly be supported and upheld. I mean, think about it for a minute. 
Think of the number of Christmases that have been celebrated. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And think of the millions of people and millions of people that have celebrated. They have all come and gone from earth, haven't they? We're here right now. But think of the Christmases and the Advents and the services and the songs and the people that have sung them. They've all come and gone, and yet the message is still here. (laughs) The Advent story is still here. They've all come and gone. We're still here today talking about a weak humanity needing a Savior and placing ourselves, us, ourselves, into God's hands to be restored and upheld. As, As Calvin said, fly to Him. Flee to him, run to him, fly to him, he said. We're still here with that same message. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Advent is all about. That we can place ourselves with all hope and trust into God's hands and his comfort and his forgiveness and his life because he placed himself into our hands. That's why we can do it. He he placed himself into our hands by becoming A baby. He took on flesh. And when we finally got him in our hands, what do we do with him? We killed him. We killed him. But it's the story, isn't it? It's the gospel. It's the fruit of Christmas where the the road is headed. We're, We're almost there in Mark, aren't we? It's where the road is headed. But we're still called to share and proclaim it today. Because the story will be here forever. We'll go, but the story will be here forever. So let's look at our third and final voice to see this, that we are still called to share it and proclaim it, this gospel message, this voice. Here it is, our third voice. We also need a voice of gospel news, the passage will tell us, to proclaim God's mighty, saving, and tender care. Mighty, saving, and tender care. Let's look at these last verses. Verse 9 with me. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In verse 9 here, the final voice says to Zion, says to God's people, get up. Get up. You have a responsibility, he says. Get up, Zion. God's people have always had this responsibility of, of bearing tidings of comfort and what? Yeah, tidings of comfort and joy. To herald this good news, to get it out from the mountaintops. I love how one of my favorite Christmas hymns puts it. I was so shocked to see this verse 1 in the uh, recent Grinch movie. I was shocked. I was looking in the theater, looking around going, they just said Jesus. They just said Satan in a, in a theater watching the, Grinch, uh, the new Grinch movie, but it was there. It's one of my favorite uh, Christmas hymns, and I love this verse. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, 
O tidings of comfort and joy. O Zion, Jerusalem, people of God, get it out to the cities of Judah, the prophet writes. Herald this good news, tidings of comfort and joy. Behold your God. That's what they're called to say. It's another way of saying, here he is, unveiled in front of you. Here he is. Did John the Baptist do anything less than that? No, he did not. Behold, even said the word. Behold, he's unveiled, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I ask you this Christmas season, will you have a voice? Will you have a voice that will share good tidings of comfort and joy? Will you be someone without fear, as he said to in the Isaiah, or with strength, as he said in the passage too? From the highest mountain to the city, proclaim, Behold, Jesus has come. Behold, he's come. Will you have a voice this Advent season? I ask you, we have that voice. I want us to take this seriously as a congregation. I really do. And I know many of us do. Our theme this year was be equipped. And and part of being equipped is being ready to share about Christ with others. It is that. Share what's given you hope in life and hope when you've been in the slough of despond. I want it to be a primary vision and priority for Bethany Church in our future to create a culture of, of sharing this good news, of sharing tidings of comfort and joy. But a culture takes time, doesn't it? It does. To build and shape a culture takes resolve, a stick to it, a mind shift, a sharing together of, of stories. As I even heard one yesterday in our covenant membership class, one of our ladies shared a story of her uh, sharing and, and bringing, leading somebody to faith this week in Christ at one of our local pregnancy centers. She shared it. We have to share those stories. It's not prideful to share them. It's, 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 it's uh, bringing us all up together when we share those stories. When, you, when God gives you an opportunity like that, don't keep it quiet because you think, I don't want to be prideful. No, share it so we can all celebrate together. That's how you build culture. We share those stories too. It's our mission. It's our calling. And I want you just to even think about the question. When was the last time When was the last time you shared with somebody about Jesus? Just think for a moment. Just think for a moment. When was the last time? So maybe for Advent this season, maybe for you it's inviting your neighbor to Christmas Eve service. Maybe it goes further. Maybe invite him to your house for Christmas Eve dinner. Maybe it means finally speaking up to that coworker or family member this year. Maybe it starts by seeking forgiveness from someone. You've wronged. And letting him know the only power you have to do it is in the gospel of Christ. Because he's strong. I love how this closes, though. This final close for this image of God. Verse 10 does say God is strong. He's an arm of strength. He's coming with might. And we know he did this for his people. On that near horizon, remember, the exiled people, Cyrus, this Persian king, comes. And he defeats the Babylonians. 
And he decrees that all Jews can go home, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. Uh, Isaiah even prophesied it and even said the name Cyrus in chapter 45 years before he came. Look at it later today. Look at Isaiah 45. He mentions this guy by name, Cyrus, who a hundred and some years later would do this. And he did. God was strong and he saved his people. It says with his arms. It really means God has his sleeves rolled up for you. He's got his sleeves rolled up for you. That's what it says with a mighty arm. But he's also tender. If we didn't have that tender side, he'd just be feared. But he's also tender. Did you see the language in verse 11 there? Like a shepherd gathering his flock, gathering the lambs. And where does he gather them? Right into the center of who he is, right to his heart. Right to the center of who he is. He's gathering us in. Gentle, tender, gathering his lambs. And where do we see? Where do we see the God of might, the God holy, just, sovereign, powerful to save, sleeve rolled up, fighting for you, and the tenderness, mercy of a shepherd gathering his lambs? Where do we see those come together most? At the cross. At the cross of Jesus. That's where we see it most represented the might and power to save and the tender way he came to do it as a suffering servant to gather in his people and that's what our table's about our table is about the might and power and tenderness of god coming together and it came into earth at christmas jesus came into earth at Christmas. This is where strength and might and mercy and justice and forgiveness wed with tender, forgiving arms of love that gather us in. Even those who are watching little kids, it's really saying to, to nursing mothers, even with the nursing mom, he's gathering them in as they were vulnerable. That's what this table is. Might and power and tender mercy and forgiveness united at the cross. Let's take a moment. Take a moment and ask God to give you fresh eyes to see the Savior, to hear the voice this Advent season. And not only that, ask Him to let you be a voice this season too. As our servers prepare, let's take that quiet time and as they bring the elements in a moment, if you have not heard that voice yet, haven't trusted Christ today, it doesn't really make sense for you to partake of the family meal. We want you to. We want you to trust Christ today. If you want to trust Christ today, talk to me after or one of our leaders or somebody you saw on stage here. But if you haven't yet, I encourage you, just let the elements go by. Nobody's going to be looking down the aisle judging you. But God does say this is for those who have heard that voice and have come into that family through Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment just to ponder these things.